I'm told that uh, knowledge doubles every five years so that those people tonight who have earned their PhDs, if you stopped studying and learning and growing in, in, the, the, in your field, that PhD would be uh, uh, out of date in five years' time. 90% of all the scientists who have ever lived are alive tonight. Um, it is phenomenal what this, this world of ours is learning. We are, we are seeing a technological explosion. I read just recently that there is even some potential and experimentation in brain transplants. Can you imagine what it would be like to, have, to be able to do that? It's just unbelievable. And where does the church stand in the midst of this advancing technology, in this phenomenal culture and world? One Christian observer, uh, one sage said, I have a feeling that most Christians have a, suffer a tremendous inferiority complex as they encounter the world around them. Why we bought the idea that the church is quite irrelevant to society and to the world and that we are really not an important part or segment of society. Then he made this statement. The church is the most important body in the world today. Now, you, you don't have a place for this on your outline, but I want to make two statements. I want to develop the idea of this first sermon, this first ser sermon on the series of the advancing church. I want to base it on two ideas. Maybe they're new ideas, or maybe just to remind you of two ideas that you've already known or you, you've already thought. The first is this that everything that happens in the world happens because of what the church is or is not doing. I need to make that statement again. Whatever is happening in the world tonight, whatever is happening is happening because of what the church is or is not doing. Now, Jesus struck at the heart of that when he said, Ye are the salt of the earth. For the purpose of the salt was to preserve the meat, and so it was vigorously rubbed into the raw meat. And if the meat perished, it wasn't the meat's fault, it was the salt's. And so he left in the earth the church to preserve the society in which that church was found. And if society perishes, if the world dies, it will not be the fault of, the, of society. It will be the fault of the church. For the church is the most important body in the world today. Now, um, whether or not we believe that, you know... Um, should give us some kind of security for, you know, what do we why, why do we fear and why do we quake if that is true? Uh, why do we fear archaeological finds uh, if, if the church is, is relevant and the most important body today? Unger said, with every shovel of dirt the archaeologist uncovers, my faith is strengthened. 
And why do we, why do we fear the threats of extinction and, and the threats that the church is no longer going to have an impact on society? Why do we fear that? For the most beautiful thing about the church is that it is forever relevant. It is the most important body in the world today so that what is happening in the world is because of what the church is doing or what the church is not doing. The second idea on which I wanna, from which I want to develop this, this first message is this. Now this not surprise you and it's not profound, but I just want you to nail it down, think about it a little bit. Everything that God is doing or has done, He has planned to do. Everything that God has done or is doing, He has planned to do. There have been no surprises to God. And He operates on the basis of a divine plan so that when Bethlehem him happened, when, when Jesus came and lived on earth a sinless life and He died on the cross and He was raised from the dead, it was all the unfolding of the divine plan of God. It was all the unfolding of God's plan from eternity past. It happened because God planned for it to happen like that. So that in eternity past, God had a plan and God had a message. And that message was, that, that plan was embodied in Jesus Christ. And that message was embodied in Jesus. He was the message of God incarnate. He was the plan of God incarnate. So that the message of God had flesh in Jesus. Now, if you go down to the grocery store and you pass by the, the canned meat section, now this almost seems kind of crude, but you hang in with me, and you see that uh, 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 can, it says chili con carne. That means chili with meat. God had a message with meat on it. It was a message in meat and blood and flesh and bone. It was a message embodied incarnate in Jesus now when Jesus was alive on earth, He was the message and the plan of God walking around in a body. He was the message of God in flesh and bone and blood. But what happened when Jesus left the earth? What happened when He ascended into heaven? That message and plan of God began to be incarnated in someone else. In whom? In us, the church. Look at verses 1 and 2. The first account I composed, Theopolis, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when He was taken up. Now what that says is that while Jesus was on earth, He began to do and to teach the message of God, the plan of God, until when? Until He was taken up. He was ascended into heaven. And after that, where was the message and the plan of God incarnate? Where was it embodied? It was embodied in these 11 disciples he began to, he, that He talked to and instructed. And subsequently, and following the church today. Now, if we could grasp that, if we could just get that, if somehow that could just get us, could grasp us, could, could grip us, 
that what Jesus was, the incarnate plan and message of God, is now the church. What a difference it would make. Oh, if that could grip us. Now, there are some historical grounds for the church. You'll see two of them. You know, the church has a historical reason. The first historical ground for the church is the resurrection of Jesus. The only valid, the only valid Messiah is one who has, who has come from the dead, who has been raised from the dead. Look at verse 3. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. The only valid Messiah is one who has returned from the dead. I was watching television not long ago and this man claimed to be the Messiah. From the east he claimed to be the Messiah. He was God's anointed one, the Messiah. And I sat there thinking, when did you come back from the dead? The only valid Messiah is the only, is the only, the only valid Messiah is one who has come from the dead. Now I want you to just flip your New Testament to that exciting verse over in Romans 1. Just look at that. Romans 1 chapter 3. Concerning his son who... Romans 1 verse 3, concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Now Jesus said, I am the Messiah. He, he was the embodiment of the message of God. And he said, these are my credentials. This is my credentials. This validates my Messiahship. I have come from the dead. And he revealed himself in three ways. He proved that validation. The credentials that he carried in his own person were proved in three ways. There was a visible proof. They saw him alive after his resurrection. There was a chronological proof. He appeared over a period of 40 days. It wasn't just one flash sighting of him. And there was the audible proof. He spoke of the kingdom of God. He said, I am the Messiah, and here are the proofs. The second grounds for the historical church is the promise of the Father, verse 4. And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the, promise, for, for what the, pro, the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. Now, somebody answer me. What was the promise of the Father? The Holy Spirit. Now, back in, you know, when you turn back to those passages in John 15, 16, and 17, there he made the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, here is the church with a message from God, God's plan. Here are these disciples. They had a message. They were the message incarnated. They were the message embodied. But they had no power. 
And so Jesus said, you just stay put, you stay where you are, and the promise of the Father is coming upon you, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came in power at Pentecost, the church itself became empowered. And the only power they had to live out the message they were to embody was the power that came through the Holy Spirit upon them. Now here is the church and the grounds for the church. The resurrected Jesus coming back from the dead and empowering His church with the Holy Spirit. Now what are the dynamics of this power? There are several of them. Just grasp them with me and we'll hurry. First, it is not a symbol but a reality. Verse 5. It is not a symbol but a reality. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now why were those people baptized by John? They were baptized by John in John's day, a baptism of repentance, because they wanted to be identified with the coming kingdom of the Messiah. And so as they were baptized, they were identified with the followers of the Messiah that John had proclaimed and would proclaim. But Jesus is saying, there's, there, He's introducing or showing them something totally different. They're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That is, they are not going to be baptized symbolically, they're going to experience the reality of the third person of the, of the Trinity indwelling them. But there is also in this the identification. When they were baptized by John's baptism, they were identified with repentance and the new kingdom that was coming. But when they were baptized by the Spirit of God, they were identified with the body of Christ. Now the reality tonight is that you are the body of Jesus. That is not symbolical, that's real. The reality tonight, it is not we should be the body of Christ or we ought to be the body of Christ or we can be the body of Christ. Reality is we are the body of Christ. And the reality is that we have a, an organic relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. It is not an organizational relationship. The church is more than an organization. It's an, it's an organism. It is a part of the body of Jesus. It is the body of Christ in reality. Now, I think sometimes we, 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 we internalize that we... Uh, conceptualize the body of Christ as symbolical. We, we are symbolically the body of Jesus. We are in reality the body of Christ. Did you know that? The body of Christ is the church so that the message of God embodied in Jesus and He walked the earth, He ascended to the Father and the body of Christ now the church that lives on earth. In reality, the body of Jesus. Secondly, the Spirit's coming is not a program but a power, verse 6. 
Now when we think of power, we think of noise, and we think of explosions, and we think of dynamite. The power of God is authority. Uh, the other day I was uh, traveling over, I was in Fort Worth and I was uh, going down a busy intersection, Fort Worth, and the red, and the stoplight was out. They had a policeman out there. And he was standing right in the middle of the street on this busy intersection. Now folks, hang on to this. He was standing right out in the middle of the, of the street and he was directing traffic. All he had in his mouth was a whistle. He had on a, some white gloves. And, and as the traffic was going uh, along uh, Northside Drive and Main Street, North Main in Fort Worth, Texas, I mean just it's a, it is a, it is a, it's a um, rat race there. And here stood this uh, policeman standing out in the middle of that thing, and here were these cars, and all of a sudden he just blow his whistle and just hold his hand up like that, and everybody just come and screech and screech and stop. And while he held his hand up like that, holding that traffic back, he just motioned and, and the traffic from this side began to move. And after a while, he dropped this hand down, he just put his hand out like that, and that line of traffic just came to a screeching halt. I thought, what if somebody just kept going, you know? Now what keep you from it? That white glove or that hand? Not really. The power that was embodied in that man and, and, and something in us just responded to that authority. Something in all of us there with vehicles that could just plowed him under and kept going. But something in us responded to the authority that was vested in him. Now folks, listen carefully. When Jesus ascended to the Father, he, he validated the church with authority. He gave to the church authority. And he said, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And so he has given the church this tremendous authority that Jesus himself possessed. Now the question tonight is, not does the church have authority over sin and power over the evil one. The church has that authority and that power. The church is not exercising it. The church is not using it. The church is not dispensing it. The church is not exercising. Now there's not a single person in this room tonight as a Christian, as a believer, that does not have power to bind and loose on earth. He's given us that power. And it's more than just power, it is authority, you see. You see that cop driving down the street and he's got uh, his uniform on, got that little red light on the top of his car. He, 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 the man inside that car might have no more you know, no more strength than you have or, that, or than, I, than I have. But because he's driving in that car with that uniform on and that red light on the top, he has authority to control everything that's going on around us. Now, you and I have just, you know, we're just common, ordinary, one talented people. But when Jesus ascended to the Father, he gave us the authority to bind and loose on earth. It's a thrilling and exciting thought. We're just not exercising that power. Rather than binding and loosening, we're being bound ourselves. Rather than setting free, we're being bound ourselves. Rather than overcoming, we're being overcome. And all the time we have the, the power to reign because Jesus gave it to us. 
as the church. Third, we who are empowered become not promoters but witnesses. Verse 8, ye shall be witnesses. Now, witnesses tell of Jesus. The, the, the Christian is not a salesman who goes to the door peddling his wares. I've been there before. I got into some direct selling when I was in college, you know, trying to make my, work my way through college. And, and a guy was telling me, he said one night he knocked on the door, he's selling encyclopedias, and a little voice came from the inside. If you're selling it, we don't want it. If you're giving it away, slide it in under the door. Well, every time I'd go to the door, I'd think about that. They probably don't want what I got. And so I kind of, you know, kind of ashamedly, you know, kind of tapped on the door and gave my little sales pitch that I memorized just with trembling voice. You don't, know what I, you don't want what I got was kind of the idea that I had. We're not salesmen peddling our wares. And we're not recruiters trying to get people to join our religious club. We're witnesses. And there's a vast difference. A witness is a person who tells what he sees and what he knows of something. He is one who bears witness of what a fantastic person Jesus is. And sometimes I hear people talking about their kids or their, their relatives, and this is what they'll always say. Well, I know that I'm biased. I know that I'm prejudiced. You ever said that? I know I'm prejudiced, but... I think he's a pretty good guy myself. I was talking to somebody the other day about her husband. I said, you got a great guy. He's a tremendous guy. She said, well, I'm kind of prejudiced. I think so too. But I've never heard anybody say that about the Lord. I'm, I'm kind of prejudiced, I know, but he's a fantastic one. I want to tell you about him. I know I'm kind of biased, but he's a fantastic person. He's set me free. He's brought light to my darkness. That's what we're about, witnesses. And so the young man got his degree from the seminary. He was working on his Ph.D. He went back to his little hometown. He was going to overwhelm them. I mean, he was going to dazzle them with what he learned. He had his little manuscript all fixed out, and he had some of these profound theological ideas he was going to lay on them while he was walking down the street Saturday afternoon kind of letting folks know that he was in town, was going to preach at the little Baptist church the next morning. He came up on one of these little... Uh, uh, sweet ladies like these that are sitting back here and they just did him in they said honey here you're going to preach for us tomorrow yes ma'am I want to preach tomorrow well I want you to be sure and say a good word about Jesus and he went back to his uh, home and he, that just did him in wasn't a, wasn't a thing in the world in that theological manuscript he had all prepared to just dazzle them about saying a good word about Jesus. So he just tore it up and stood up and said a good word about Jesus, just bragged on him. That's all we are. We're just braggers on Jesus, right? Y'all are still out there and you're still awake and it's nice and warm. Oak number four. The plan of God is not restricted but universal. Verse 8. We suffer from tunnel vision. We, we live in our own backyard. We just focus on what is directly before us. There's a world out there. there. There's a world out there that's ready. In Christ there is no east or west. In Him no north or south. 
but one great fellowship of love throughout the whole wide earth. The plan of God is not restricted but universal. It is not just for us, it's for everybody. It's for the folks down there and across there and back here just as well as it is for us. That, that little, you know, that, that fit right in tonight, that little uh, uh, puppet deal there. They'd be better across the, the uh, they'd be happier somewhere else. Listen, folk, it's for everyone, this message. Number five. The empowered Christ, the empowered church, needs to focus on its first priorities. The empowered church needs to focus on its first priorities. Look at verse 11. They said, men of Galilee, why are you standing here looking into heaven? Why are you gazing up there? Can't you just see them? And Jesus has just disappeared, you know, and, and, uh, 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 not like what you see in pictures, you know, going up there and there's a hole in heaven, there he, he just disappears. And they're standing up, gazing, you know, into the sky. And the angel said, what are you looking into heaven for? Why are you gazing? It's time to go. Why are you gazing? It's time to go. You can stand here gazing all day, but it's not the, that's not the business of the church. The church business is to go. And I was sharing with the men on, uh, on Friday at noon luncheon as I drove to the airport Thursday and listened to the report about Brezhnev's death. And they began to speculate, is this going to throw us into a nuclear war? I began to ask myself, is everybody in my family, is everybody in my family saved? I mean, what if that, what if that happens now? Is, is everybody in your that you know and love, are they ready? Are they saved? L listen to me, this is a serious moment. If everybody you know, I mean really serious, if everybody you know and love is not saved, you better hurry and see that they know how to be saved. You better hurry up and do that. If everybody's not ready for the return of the Lord and for the end of the age that you know tonight and you love and you care about, you better go from here and give them the word. Don't stand gazing any longer at all that we have and all that we are about. It's not, there's no time left for gazing. Number six, the key to power is unity and prayer. Verse eight, verse 14, what a verse. These with all one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. These with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. The key to power is unity. The key to power is oneness. The key to power is, is the unity of mind, is the oneness of mind. It doesn't mean we all have to think the same thing. It means that we all agree on the principle and purposes which we're about and we're given to prayer. 
There ought to be as many people Wednesday night sitting in these pews as there are tonight. And there ought to be just as many people involved in the continuing prayer ministry of the church as there are in any other part of that church's ministry. It's where the power is. And don't you talk to me about wanting power. Don't you talk to me with piosity about wanting a church of power until you're ready to, be, to get things right where there's been lack of unity, until you're ready to begin to pray. Now, two suggestions that will help us implement this plan. First, the people must be infected. I mean, you've got to infect the people. Um, if, if you want an epidemic going, just get somebody sick and put them in a crowd. You'd like that. Well, you pharmacists like that. You know, get these sick folks and get them out in the crowds. <laughs> Let them cough and, and, uh, and, and uh, infect us. What are all that coughing going on down here? That's the way you get, you, you get, in the peop- you get with the people and you give them what you got. You infect them. You get where the people are and you expose them to what you have. It'd be great, wouldn't it, if all we had to do was sit in our living room in front of our television with a nice fire going and a good hot cup of coffee and push a button, you know, and the work of God would go. We can't do it. You've got to be where the people are with what you have. Uh, and, and, and listen carefully. The people that are winning this world to whatever philosophy, whatever plan, the people who are winning this world are not the people who are sitting in their ivory towers of exclusion. They're the people who are out there in the people giving them what they've been exposed to themselves. One last thing. To help us implement the plan. To impact an advanced world the power must be released. To impact an advanced world, the power must be released. That is, the Holy Spirit just must release the power that's in me. How does that happen? Well, I remember one time when Jesus came down from the mountain and there were His disciples and they were helpless with a lunatic, an epileptic, they said, Jesus, why couldn't we do what you did? Now, 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 here's the church, folks, listen. Here's the church asking Jesus, why can't we do what you did? The promise was that the church would equal and exceed what Jesus did. That's what Jesus said himself. You will do what I do and more than I do. And we're asking ourselves, isn't that what you've asked before? Why isn't, if the church is the body of Christ, why isn't the church able to do what Jesus did? And Jesus gave the answer to his disciples. He said, this comes not but by prayer and fasting. You will not see this power released 
until there is the denial of worldly things and the connecting up to the spiritual source. Let's pray together. Our Father, it's just really exciting to us to discover what the church is and about. Help us, Father, in some measure of understanding to grasp this truth. Help us with some measure of understanding to discover who we are and what we have. For I pray in Jesus' name. I wonder if there's somebody tonight who would like to make some decision for Christ. You know the invitations. You've been here before. Maybe you've come to the service tonight just thinking, you know, I think I'll make my decision tonight. I think I'll accept Christ tonight. I think I'll join the church tonight. I think I'll get my life straightened out. I think I'll, I think I'll quit playing games and get right with God and get, come back to the Lord. I think I'll do that tonight. We're praying you will. We encourage you to. We want you to. While we stand and John leads us, what are we singing? Wherever, Wherever he leads, I'll go. We invite you to come.